0: You're listening to The Forum Daily. Welcome to The Forum Daily. It is Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Friday, May the 1st. Can you believe we're in the month of May? That is a great thing. What a fun feeling. May is the month where, at least where we live, things really shift to a bit of a summer feeling. My name. It's Luke Betger, and I am joined by the one and only Brandon Richardson. We are uh, two lead pastors at Slate Church, and hey, you're tuned into the Forum Daily, our daily podcast. We're thankful that you have joined us today. Brandon, how are things?
1: Going pretty good. I mean, it's May, like you said. Yeah. Uh, We're done with April showers. Now bring on the May flowers.
0: Come on. That's how I feel about it. I'm ready Mm -hmm. for it.
1: Yep. I uh, I mean, I think it's supposed to be beautiful weekend, which is awesome to hear, awesome Great. to see. And uh, right now where I am, I don't know about where you are, but uh, it is cloudy, and it is going to be nice at 2 p.m. all the way until Sunday. Wow.
0: From 2 p.m. and on until Sunday.
1: Oh, you know what? All the way until Tuesday, although uh, we're moving back wow. Monday. We're moving back that's Monday. That's incredible.
0: We got, it's, Hey, there's nothing like the feeling of some nice days ahead. And we're just right on the cusp of it, you know? And, um, I'm excited for that. I'm now I'm trying to figure out like, what am I going to do this weekend to take advantage of that guaranteed some yard work? Uh, that's what I've been doing every weekend. Uh, going to try and, you know, fertilize the old lawn, that kind of stuff. And, um, so there will be that there will be the setting up of my hammock. Mm-hmm. In my backyard, for sure. Mm-hmm. Probably lying in that. Taking a snooze or two. Doing some reading. Lying in the old lying in the old hammock. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh man, I'm excited.
1: It's going to be a good weekend. I'm going to clean I...
0: out the van. Oh, that's a good feeling. That's a great yeah. feeling. A, a good old car clean is nice.
1: It's hard to clean out your van when you've got three kids, you know? Because they, they see the van seats down and out and all the doors yeah. open as like, an invitation to take part in the jungle gym and uh <laughs> that's right that's right you know, but uh, it'll be a lot of fun
0: i remember uh you know one of my first jobs was detailing cars and one of my favorite things to do was something called the car bomb and this was like you had to pay a lot of extra money for it but um basically it was like a grenade and i would set it in the car close all the windows but turn it on and like run the uh run the the uh you know cooling system and pull this thing and poof, in the car it just fills up with like smell that's really nice and it just disinfects and it de-smells everything and that was that was always a really satisfying thing to
1: be able to do. I worked at that same place but I never got to use yeah. the car bombs.
0: No they were fun man. Uh yeah. maybe they're outlawed now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they were yeah. nice. Well hey today's a special day. Because today is Friday, and you know what that means—it's time for
1: Brandon and Luke's Friday books.
0: That's right, Brandon and Luke's Friday Book Club is on. It's happening, and today is the first day of the new book that we are reading. We finished the book "God Has a Name" by John Mark Comer, and we moved on our new book, "Mere Christianity." by a little-known author. He's up and coming. You probably never have heard of him. His name is C.S. Lewis. And uh, we have read for this week book one of this book that's split into, I guess, four different books. And uh, hey, we're going to talk about it today. So we're pulling up yeah. some, uh, some different ideas. You should know. disclaimer, there is so much rich content in this, that our goal right now is not to summarize everything. This Mm -hmm. is not Sparks Notes. We're not just going to give you this is the summary or anything like that. But we're going to talk about a couple of things that stood out to us and a couple of things that we think are interesting and important. But um, we're not going to – listen, we're not going to be able to get through every single tidbit because literally every line is, like, worthy of discussion in this opening chapter of the book. It's incredible. So the book opens, book one, it's called Right and Wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe. Book one, chapter mm-hmm. one, the law of human nature. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis really opens his book uh, in a way that I think is very relatable to all of us. He's essentially mm-hmm. talking about this idea of right and wrong and fairness and that innate sense that we all have that there is right and wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, he
0: talks about the idea of somebody um you know in an argument with somebody else over something and lewis writes uh about this uh he's appealing the person in an argument he is appealing to some kind of standard of behavior which Mm -hmm. he expects the other man to know about and of course the other man lewis says very seldom replies uh Oh, forgive me for swearing, but this is what it says in the book. Uh, <laughs> the, and uh, The other man very seldom replies, to hell with your standard. Nearly always he tries to make out that what he has been doing does not really go against the standard, or mm. that if it does, there is some special excuse. What's really interesting about this is that without the men even having to really come to agreement upon it, the argument isn't about whether or not there is a standard. The argument is about whether or not each person is living up to it. Yeah. there's something very very deep about this idea of this standard lewis refers to it as moral law that mm. which governs us as people that we don't really have to learn but it's just there what do you think about this idea of m- this moral law this greater sense of right and wrong that's within us brandon
1: yeah i mean uh, <clears throat> you know we've been having some discussions even just yesterday personally yeah. where we were talking about um, the idea that you know we live in a postmodern society a post-christian yeah. society and within this society there is a lot of moral um, relativism and yep. subjective morality and um, basically it's uh it's a relational set morality so whatever a community comes up with as you know right or wrong that's uh, so you know what might be right or wrong in Saudi Arabia is different than What is right or wrong in uh, Toronto, in, uh, you know, certain neighborhoods and communities that you find yourself there and they all govern based on their own morality. And, uh, you know, I think the problem with this is that it gets so messy, especially with globalization, because different um, ethnicities and backgrounds all have their different ideas of what's right and wrong. And uh, it just becomes a yelling match as to which is, you know, actually more correct or less correct. So in the midst of a subjective uh, moral reality, uh, what you have is a bunch of people arguing and doing exactly what C.S. Lewis said, which is um, they're all trying to come back to some form or measure of, of behavior. That's right and uh you know i i i'm very thankful for having taken a couple of classes in university and one was uh, philosophy where you just imagine a world where you know you can imagine different universes and if you can imagine a universe where um where the most heinous crime uh you know the he- most heinous crime usually what it comes down to is as disturbing as it is is uh, you ask questions such as is um murdering little children for fun ever okay and you ask this question i mean imagine a universe where that's okay we would all inherently whether you are um, downtown in some district of toronto or in saudi arabia i mean you would say no that's inherently there's something wrong about that yeah and because of that immediately it says well there is a standard then you know and we're all referencing this and we all have different interpretations on the standard but there yeah. is a standard and so you know c.s lewis brings us out and says well that's the moral law and i mean i think that is i love that he starts all of mere christianity with this starting point because it's a good building block because it's an objective one that allows us to move past the relativism and the subjectivity into something more objective
0: well i think that's right i love that he says wherever you find a man who says he does not believe in a real right and wrong You will find the same man going back on this a moment later. He may break his promise to you, but if you try breaking one to him, he'll be complaining it's not fair before you can say Jack Robinson, which, by the way, is an incredible line written by Lewis. But it's so true, isn't it? Don't we do this all the time? I think it's like, um, you know, anybody that tries to say there is no moral law, I'm going to argue it away. There is no set standard, yet they are the same people who will appeal to this when they have been wronged. Um, it's like the idea of sovereign citizens. You know, you see this like online sometimes, and they say, I am not going to be under the laws of the nation of Canada. I am a sovereign citizen. I declare myself so. But as soon as they're, uh, you know, being like arrested for what they're doing, they're now appealing to a law uh, of right and wrong, and they're saying this is illegal. Well, it's like, wait a minute. You can't have your cake and eat it too when it comes to this. And so I think that uh, Lewis does a great job opening his book explaining this idea of moral law and really this idea that he establishes here in this opening chapter is really one that he builds on for really the rest of the book. So it's an important one that you get a grasp on. I would say if you read this, this chapter um, even this intro book and you didn't quite get the grasp of it yet, I would say, don't be afraid to go back and try and reread it again and wrestle with it a little bit and, um, and think about it because it's going to help you out as you move into the rest of it. Um, Yeah. Of course, he he moves on uh, even into uh, book two. He gives some objections to this. The great yeah. thing about Lewis is he he is really trying to take this from all different angles, and so he brings up um, some different objections in chapter two. And uh, you know, he was getting calls in people saying, "Well, that's just like herd instinct, or that's just uh, you know you know something that we have learned through our teachers, all of these types of things." And he has done a really good job at uh, at actually being able to sort of dismantle what some of those things were. And we don't have to get into that too much because I think Lewis just does a pretty good job of actually just, just nailing it. Um, but he goes in, in uh, in chapter three here, he goes into the reality of the law. Mm-hmm. And so he says there's two odd things about the human race. He says, first, that they were haunted by the idea of a sort of behavior they ought to practice. That is the moral law that's guiding mm-hmm um, uh, what you call, might call fair, fair play decency or morality law of nature. He's saying, but secondly, uh, the thing that is odd about humans is that we in fact don't do so. It's this mm-hmm. idea that we don't always actually follow that thing, um, which we feel guiding us in our day-to-day life. It's this mm-hmm. idea that, you know, we have, uh, I mean, he, he starts to get uh, quite deep here, and it's actually really good that he's talking about this idea of um, having the facts, how men behave, and also having something else, how they ought to behave. And I, I think this is a, a, an important chapter as well, because he sort of asks this idea, like, why ought I be unselfish? Yeah. And then we say, well, because it's good for society. Well, we may then ask, why should I care what's good for society, except when it happens to pay me personally? And then yeah. you'll have to say, because you ought to be unselfish. And then all okay. of a sudden, like you start to get in this sort of feedback loop of an argument when it comes to this idea of moral law. Um, when it, I think when it comes to really sort of trying to defend that, uh, that there isn't a moral law, that I can kind of just do whatever I want. It's slippery territory as we get into mm-hmm. some of this stuff. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah. I mean, he is what, uh, 70 years before our time. And he's yeah. essentially describing, you know, this idea of relational set morality and yep. he's going, Hey, at the end of the day, this, uh, falls in an, in on itself, because if it's just good for, um, that community, well, it could be really bad for another community. So yeah. the way, you know, the way to, you know, make up a law that, it you know, whatever it could be impacting someone in a third world country that we just out of sight out of mind and it's not good for them so um you have to consider the whole and um i do like that he he talks about this idea because he's trying to he's not only now like in chapter three he's not only um moving towards like setting up a um a groundwork for what he's going to build a foundation on he's actually moving towards the cross in this argument Yeah. Um, Because he he mentions at one point in this uh, in this chapter, the idea that you can't fault a rock for moving this way or the other. That's right. And uh, well, yeah, because a a rock doesn't have any choice. But the difference is is that we aren't rocks and we do have choices. And so the fact that we are choosing against morality means that there is some uh, level of responsibility for that um Even though we never make the mark, there is still a level of responsibility for not making that mark. And so he's—I mean—he's setting up. Obviously, this is a book not only on morality but on Christianity. And so he's setting it up for, for uh, the rest of the argument towards Jesus.
0: Yeah, which I think is the the great part. I think he does a phenomenal job at the beginning of this book, not coming out and just making an explicit statement on what he's doing. Yeah. But he is taking yeah. the listener, and of course. Um, If you don't know, this book uh, actually began as a series of radio broadcasts um, to Christians and non-Christians alike. And what he is doing is that instead of just, um, you know, making these explicit statements at the beginning about what he believes faith-wise, which he, again, moves towards the entire time. But what he's doing is he is actually causing people and encouraging people to just think a little bit differently differently. About no. the world that they live in, whether or not you're thinking about God or whatever, like, hey, let's just pull the curtain back on this idea of a moral law. Which again, he he moves towards the cross and moves towards the idea that, um, um, you know, this this comes really from God. But I think it's so so smart that this is the way that he does it because yeah. he is not trying to show the goodness of God uh, mm-hmm. by being aggressive. Or by saying, I have all the answers, you have none, you need to listen to me. He's trying to really get people to consider their lives and think. And I think yeah. it's amazing how anybody can sort of take a step back and think, like, yeah, you know, what is it in me that I just innately have this sense of right and wrong and, and true and false? And that I have, the, like, why would I have that? Um, and what is that law that's governing me? And where does that come from? Yeah. How does it affect me? And he does just like, I think it's like a master class in how to uh, uh, do almost in apologetics, really. It's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, and in apologetics that, so going into chapter four, um, kind of underlines a little bit of, um, so one of, one of the important things to understand is that sometimes apologetics can lean in the direction of, of um, the Enlightenment. Uh, Like, kind of the thinking of, like, we can prove, you know, if we just get together the right set of arguments, we can prove that God exists. Um, Whereas C.S. Lewis does a good job balancing the difference between, again, the Enlightenment and postmodernism, in the sense that postmodernism just says, well, you know, reality can't be accepted as such. And Enlightenment theory of of thinking says, um, well, we can know everything because we have science. And I, I just like that C.S. Lewis is a, a trailblazer. He's a forerunner for this idea of being able to find yourself between enlightenment thinking, which has deep flaws, and postmodernism, which is, is almost self-evidently flawed. And uh, he says, okay, here's how we can move not from just the you know, material thinking to a non-material thinking, but here's how we can move from enlightenment material thinking to a religious thinking. And religious, and again, we've got to get past the word religion for a second as Christians that are all about relationship. We get that. But a religious view of the world accepts that this morality actually points to a divine being where there is mystery and we can't explain it. Um, because as he says, if a rule exists, there can't be a rule without a lawgiver. Yeah. And, um, you know, he gives a few examples of that as well.
0: I think one of my favorite things that he talks about in chapter 5 chapter 5 titled we have cause to be uneasy. And he talks about um well a couple of ideas here um but again he he's talking about this idea that uh, perhaps some of you have feel a certain annoyance right now he was saying um feeling like maybe they had been tricked, like he was he was wrapping up, like it looked yeah, like right. philosophy, but really right. it's actually just like, oh, this is, now I see the true thing, where he sweeps in with this idea of Jesus and Christianity and its religion and all this stuff. And um, he has three things to say to people. And the first thing I think is wonderful because he's talking about progress. And he's talking about the idea that, hey, progress means getting nearer to the place that you want to be. And if you've taken a wrong turn, continuing on that wrong path is not actually getting any nearer to actual progress. If you're on the wrong road, progress means turning around, walking back to get on the right road. And in that case, the person who turns back the soonest is the most progressive person. And he's saying there's nothing progressive about refusing to admit that you made a mistake or uh, whatever. And he is arguing that if you look at the present state of the world, it's p- pretty plain that humanity has been making some pretty big mistakes, and we're on the wrong road. And if that is so, we got to go back, and go- going back is the quickest way to go forward. And yeah. man, I mean, this is uh, what is this from the '40s? It's just post World War II. Yeah. Man, if this isn't relevant to today, I don't know what is. It's yeah. just an incredible word. This idea that hey, um, you know, humanity has made some wrong turns and Really, if we want to continue to progress, and man, I mean, just the idea of progressive is uh, a bit of a buzzword today. Oh, we're so progressive. Well, are we really, or are we just following down a path that is actually not taking us any nearer to where we actually want to be? Whereas we need to actually turn around, go backwards, get on the right path, and go forwards. And I just think that he does such a great job of outlining that. And uh, again, talking about this idea that, hey, postmodern thinking and, uh, everything that comes with it and the glorification of self and all of the rest of that, um, we think that maybe it's progressive, but, and we can see this in our world today, is it getting us any closer to that which our goal actually is? Because I think that we have seen that a lot of people would have thought okay, the rise of uh, really truth is relative and everybody can do whatever they want and your truth is your truth and mine is my truth. Well, that should lead us towards just a utopian society where everybody's able to live in peace all the time and everything is perfect all the time because everybody can just live out their own truth and that's okay. But of course, we see that breakdown, and we see it breaking down all the time because of exactly what Lewis is talking about, that there actually is a right and wrong in a higher law. And truth is not relative. And so all of a sudden, we're seeing that you know, postmodern society is not, uh, is not making good on the promises that it offers. Mm-hmm. And so really, the best thing that we can do is turn around, figure out where we've gone wrong, and forge a new way forward according to actual truth. And of course, we know uh, that that truth is it comes from God.
1: Yeah, uh, that, I mean that, that is so well said. I think um, you know again, C.S. Lewis is one of these timeless authors, and yeah. uh, hopefully, you know, if you're listening in right now and you didn't get a chance to read book one um, before we even go uh, even further, this is just going to be a four-week a four-week book. Um, yeah, similar to the one that we just did. And uh, it's worth catching up. It's worth reading to the end of chapter or not chapter, but book two um, yeah. by next Friday, because uh, I think that there is so much that you can learn from, I mean, already in book one, it's just laying a foundation to be able to have uh, a more intelligent view of your Christianity. You know, um, intelligence is a good thing. And, um, you know, Paul says we should have a reason uh, when people ask us, you know, why do you believe in this? You should have a reason for that. And I think for some of us, our reason is, well, it's my parents' faith. You know, I've I just always been a Christian and that's just not good enough anymore. And so I think one way you have a good reason is experientially, and that's valid by the way. Um, it holds up under the philosophical microscope and we don't need to get into that. But experiential um, awareness of, of Jesus Christ and the experiences you've had with him in your life, that is valid. It gets very dicey really quick which is why you also need to add things like a book like this. Um, or, or I mean, also just meditation on scripture. You can figure out some of this stuff on your own, I suppose. But it's hard to get to C.S. Lewis uh, level, um, you know. Uh, so, you know, you can t- you can shortcut that process a little bit by reading some of this stuff and realizing, hey, there's some intelligence behind why we believe what we believe and not just weak intelligence, not just a straw man of what the world believes with a you know strong argument on our on our side. But an actual look at a strong argument from the world's perspective, uh, we can meet it with a very strong argument for why we believe what we believe.
0: That's right. Lewis concludes this first book by really talking about the idea of Christianity as being an answer. Mm -hmm. and He says, Christianity offers an explanation of how we got into our present state of both hating goodness and loving it. It offers an explanation of how God can be this impersonal mind at the back of the moral law and yet also a person. It tells you how the demands of this law, which you and I cannot meet, have been met on our behalf, and how God himself becomes a man to save man from the disapproval of God. It's a beautiful thing when we start to understand that and we start to think about it. And um, that's the way that he ends book one before going into book two, now talking more concretely about what Christians believe and uh hey listen you guys got to know the book just keeps getting better from here it really does and so uh we're excited that we're going to get to continue going on this uh on this journey together again it's a big book we can't possibly talk about everything we'd be here for hours and hours and hours uh but we do just want to get you reading as brandon was saying and thinking about uh, stuff in a new way so well thanks for joining us uh on this uh friday for our first edition of the new season. Of Brandon and Luke's Friday
1: books. Friday books, 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 Friday, books, 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 Friday, books, books, Friday
0: books. Still love that jingle, man. I love it. Jericho, you're the man. You're the man. Well, hey, uh, we don't have any episodes this weekend. We'll be back on Monday, but we do have church on Sunday, and we would love for you to join us. Make sure you go to Slatechurch.com to join us for church. We've got services at 9, 10, 30, 12 four and six. Lots of opportunities to attend. We'd love for you to share, invite some people, tell others about it. We're excited for what God's going to do this Sunday in our church. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for reading, reading along with us and, uh, and hanging out with us today on this beautiful Friday. Enjoy the beautiful weekend. Enjoy it. Take care. everyone. Thanks for listening to The Forum Daily. Don't forget to check out Slate Church on our website at slatechurch.com and be sure to follow us on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook as well for all the updates that you need to know.